Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup. This is episode 32 for the week ending Monday, November 23rd. As always, we'll be rounding up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. Here with me is my co-host, Defo Mohapi. I mean, where else would you be, Holmes? How's it? I'm good, obviously, yeah. Well, we're back to earth after last week's celebrity episode, huh? No, definitely. Some pan-African celebration going on there. Yeah, that's proper. So last week you were at AFRICOM, yes? Uh, and one of the more important announcements that were made there will be headlining our news lineup today. But how was it? It was quite interesting. Uh, I mean, you had all sorts of different exhibitors, but I was just there for the meetings. Flew in and flew out. Definitely. Like a true bows. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, we must initiate you. So please head straight to africantakeroundup.com to catch up on our past episodes and do yourself a favor while you're there by signing up for our weekly newsletter to get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday. For fun behind-the-scenes stuff and daily news bites and candid commentary you'll probably enjoy, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both platforms is at African Roundup. And we're also on Facebook like a billion other people. Check us out at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. That's right. Also, in keeping with the spirit of the festive season, we have a little surprise giveaway for one lucky follower on Twitter, all courtesy of the African Tech Roundup and Tribeca. Now, Tribeca Supplies is a Joburg-born creative merchandise supplies business that works closely with discerning brand teams, event companies, agencies, and individuals like you looking to make an impact through branded product. Their creative gifting ideas keep up with trends and evolving consumer behavior to deliver solutions that are aligned to your brand essence and amplify the consumer experience. And so we're giving away a hamper which includes a speaker bag, a power bank selfie stick set, a multi-purpose power bank torch, and an erasable hub writing pad. Well, if that sounds good to you, sign up for our newsletter or follow or like us on social to find out more. A big thank you to Tribeca for helping us hook you all up proper this festive season. Now, in today's discussion segment, we'll be cutting to the heart of what's going on in Silicon Savannah. Some allegations of corruption have surfaced, and we'll be talking all about that. But first, this week's African Tech Roundup is brought to you by the inaugural annual roundup happening in Johannesburg less than a week from now on the morning of Thursday, November 26th, all powered by Opera. Now, you can join Defo and I, along with many other leading personalities from Africa's tech scene, for a laid-back breakfast event at the Wanderers Club from 8 a.m. to about 12.30 p.m. We'll be looking back on the year's digital tech and innovation highlights in terms of startups, enterprise, gadgets, and apps. Confirmed speakers and panelists at the event include Joe Crawshaw, Head of Growth and Communications at Opera, Dominique Collett, Senior Investment Executive at RMI Holdings, Brandon Doyle, Co-Founder and CEO of Convergence Partners, Mitch Atagana, Head of Communications and Public Affairs at Google South Africa, Co-Founder of LexLove, Andrew Taylor, Tech Right writer, trends analyst, and broadcaster Craig Wilson, and founder of Project Fable, Kodja Buffo. This is not a gig to miss. Seats are extremely limited, so book yours right now at africantechroundup.com slash annual. That's africantechroundup.com slash annual. See you there. In place of this week's listener comment, here's a snippet from a recent chat Andy had with Gees Kappers, founder and CEO of social business software company WiseTalk. Gees talked about the need for corporate leaders to take a long view when it comes to weighing up the benefits of investing in social business solutions, like the ones his company provide. Take a listen. I think businesses need to look at balance sheets more, and by that I mean, you know, stop looking at 
quarter by quarter performance or you know every six month performance have a look at what your five-year performance could look like if you had a highly engaged workforce as opposed to a disengaged workforce obviously there is an element of risk but i mean our software is a rounding error uh, at the bottom of, of of an expense statement you know and the view is give it a chance and it's not going to be a short-term thing i can't come to you and say look within three months you're going to see you know complete uh, complete change but certainly what we're seeing out of a number of the clients that we are engaging with is that there is things are improving you know there's uh there are attributes which are coming back where we're seeing that uh, and even the feedback from management say, look, this is, this is making a difference. Be sure to listen to Andile's conversation with Hayes in its entirety at conversations.africantechroundup.com. Otherwise, don't forget, if you'd like to be part of the show by having us include your audio comment on any of the topics we've covered on the show or previous shows, you can email us using hello at africantechroundup.com. That's hello at africantechroundup.com. Or leave us a note on our website. And now on to this week's news. Now we start with one of the biggest announcements that was made at Africacom in Cape Town this past week. Now, YouTube has announced that they'll be rolling out their new offline feature on the continent, uh, which aims to improve the user experience in regions with unreliable connectivity. Sounds good. Sounds good, but I, I wonder how advertising is going to work with this because uh, YouTube, the whole thing for creators and YouTube itself is being able to serve ads as people are watching the video. So I wonder how it's going to work offline, especially when they frowned upon tools that allowed people to download YouTube videos. I think the long-term play for YouTube is definitely them converting slowly into a streaming service, essentially uh, some kind of video-on-demand service, which I don't think is a popular decision. Um, Certainly what they are saying is they want to help places where bandwidth is an issue. Uh, They want to make buffering a a thing of the past. Crazy numbers have been thrown around. Apparently something like 11 million hours uh, are wasted each day by by viewers waiting for videos to buffer. At least this is in the U.S. This is insane. Crazy. But in the U.S., I mean, the the bandwidth issue is not that problematic like in emerging markets. I hear them when they say it's about data usage and costs of data because they also give you the ability to choose uh, the quality of uh, video you want to download. But I just want to see how this plays out in terms of are they going to embed the the adverts in the downloaded video? But that presents a problem that you can't click on those links and go to the website because you're offline. So I'm, I'm quite keen to see how it works. And the whole gripe with having to watch those videos to start with from a bandwidth perspective, especially in places where it's expensive and not as quick as, say, in the developed world, part of the issue is you're paying for to, to watch people sell you, and that's really, really annoying. Practically speaking, they're saying the functionality will allow people to take the video offline and watch it for up to 48 hours during periods of low or no connectivity. They're claiming that this is not about getting people to watch more videos, but rather providing people who are coming to the internet for the first time an opportunity to integrate a lot better than they would, say, uh, if they were forced to interact with text. Yeah, but still, I still I still don't get how it's going to work, especially the part where you say it's going to be available for 48 hours, during a, for like a window of 48 hours on the YouTube app offline. So if you could program or probably, unless it's encrypted, you probably could find a way of finding that offline file like online services that offer you the service to download youtube videos you probably go and can go on your phone or your pc if the app's going to be available on your pc and find the youtube videos and store them beyond 48 hours so i i i see i i see this more as a short-term or medium-term goal because bandwidth will costs will come down and internet will spread across the world and also i'm trying to think when does a video count as watched is it when you've decided to watch it later or is it, in fact, when you watch it? In terms of ownership issues, if it gets stolen at that point or 
watched without your permission or taken offline in, in some other nefarious fashion. Um, as a media maker, you might have a problem with that. Anyway, it all remains to be seen how well this rolls out, particularly here in Africa where bandwidth is such an issue. Well done for them trying to do something. It has probably more to do with them trying to make sure they're around for the next <laughs> for the next generation of video viewing more than it is trying to be kind to the planet or anything. But we'll, we'll keep a close eye on this one. And so our next story is about Facebook, which continues its march towards complete and utter world domination. Well, they're partnering with Airtel to offer uh, free basics in 17 African countries. Yeah, they're saying in the first uh, in the first phase they're going to offer free basics in with Airtel Nigeria in DRC, Gabon, and Niger, followed by other Airtel Africa markets. So customers with an Airtel mobile connection will be able to access all the services that form part of free basics. So that's all those informational services like maternity info, etc., and educational services, and they won't have to pay extra for data charges or rental. This follows their attempts to enhance accessibility in, in countries like Zambia, Kenya, Malawi, Ghana, Seychelles, and Rwanda. Again, they are punting their altruistic motives uh, to get everyone on the internet. It's a basic human right, health services, improve health this way, improve education this way. Basically, for those of us who care about the internet, this is all still a bit worrying. However, Airtel customers currently using the app and mobile website should be able to continue using their Android app, even though it's been renamed uh, to Free Basics. It, will sh- it should just change names. You, you'll just have trouble trying to check out the new logo, but you, you should be just fine. For the rest of us who have concerns about internet neutrality, mm, we'll be watching this very closely. Definitely. And I think they're targeting emerging markets, obviously, with three basics, given also the services that they offer on it. Again, another short-term to medium-term play. Yes, indeed. It's clearly the festive season, though, because there's so much doggone goodwill floating around. Uh, What with Microsoft launching a fund for underserved Africans to access the Internet? Yeah, companies can submit their applications online. So this falls under the Affordable Access Initiative. It's for solutions that offer the greatest socioeconomic impact to the larger or greatest number of people. Examples could be things like Microsoft's deployment of TV wide spaces technology, which uh, is repurposing of TV frequencies. Frequencies that are not being used to provide, to currently provide affordable internet access to communities and that kind of thing. They also have a sub-initiative called the Microsoft for Africa initiative, a multi-year initiative through which Microsoft engages in African economic development initiatives. However, look, applicants must be commercial organizations. You must have at least two or more full-time employees and have a working prototype for, to, uh, for you to be considered. Microsoft is promising on average about 75000 US dollars in funding uh, in addition to free software and services. Not a lot of money. Can I borrow 75000 US dollars from you? Well... Perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's 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 not money to to scale you in a big way or to seventy five thousand dollars could barely get a proper startup through two or three months on the continent still. So, yeah, it's money to get you started. I see this more as seed seed funding. So yes, you're right, not much money, but uh, it it makes a dent. Let me not underestimate the ingenuity on our continent. So those of you who are keen in accessing this money, please do and surprise us. Surprise us with how much you can do with so little. Our next story involves mobile money, which was a huge trend earlier this year. In the last two quarters of 2015, however, the trend towards video on demand has been insane. Now, it turns out, Ericsson is launching a service called NewView, especially targeting mobile on the African continent. It's like, I mean, we've covered this extensively throughout previous 31 episodes. 
and I think I've said this previously, if I hadn't, I'll say it, is that what you're going to see in, in, in video on demand is people who are with deep pockets looking to grab a good chunk of the market. So this is a long play. It's not a short-term play. People will, in my opinion, so companies will come in, not looking to make profits immediately like Netflix, but looking to capture the market so that by the time a good uh, chunk of people are onto video on demand and not watching. So the tipping point where you get more people watching video on demand on mobile or other devices and not watching broadcast television on TV, then that's when they'll start making. But to get to that point, they need to capture the market now. That starts to make sense, especially when you see how ridiculously affordable this new service uh, being launched by Ericsson is going to be. Something like two US dollars to something like five US dollars a month. That's nothing relative to everything that's out there currently. And, and yet for that amount, they're offering up to 3,000 titles, you know, a mix of international content, locally produced stuff. But this is the kicker. This is the absolute kicker. But what they're saying is that monthly subscription would include the data charges that users would normally have to build into their monthly budget. So even even though you're, you're subscribed to certain services, you still pay uh, the data to download the stuff. Um, they're saying, nah, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll cover this. Of course, they're going to do it in, a, in an interesting, unique way, which is to download the stuff during low peak periods, in which case you might have to wait for the stuff. I'm sure in developing markets, people shouldn't mind the wait. And if you've got Wi-Fi, you can watch it when you're ready. Or maybe they might mind. I mean, at the moment, people can download anything on the internet, any series, any film, as soon as it plays in the U.S. or as soon as it launches. So I, I think I, I'm, I don't envy VOD players, video-on-demand players, because it's a rough market out there. Same as um, music streaming services, because as soon as the content is available or published, there's a pirate site that's got it available. So you face really an uphill battle. You're so right about what you've just said because I, I think the, the their core audience or their core market at the moment is a, rel- a relatively affluent set of customers within developing markets who actually wouldn't want to wait <laughs> however many hours to watch something and certainly care that the content is basically transcoded down to something like 480p. That's insane who'd want to watch that i mean not on my smartphone at least or any tv i mean people typically on netflix are watching on macbooks or nice computer laptops or even televisions hooked up to their chromecasts or apple tvs etc so they this wouldn't be targeted at them because you can't even watch proper hd like 4k or even 1080 so this is more targeted at your lower income users who watch only on mobile devices so likely commuting whilst watching it or even at home because they're lower income users. But again, those users have access to downloading things for free. So as I said, uphill battle. Absolutely. Well, it's what some people are calling, perhaps unfairly, suing season in the mobile telco space. Vodacom's being sued for 14 billion US dollars by Alu Conter, and he's uh, the controlling shareholder of the wireless company's minority partner in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Ooh-wee. Yeah, interesting one. The claim uh, relates to allegations by Conte that uh, Vodacom, Johannesburg-based obviously, or headquartered, their international unit helped to undermine his position as a statutory director of Congolese Wireless Network. This is just pretty much a messy in-house fight that's become a pretty major deal. It is, but once you start seeing that uh, Congolese Wireless Network owns 49% stake in Vodacom Congo, you understand why he's fighting for it. That's actually true. And uh, if you tuned in last week to our episode that featured Rebecca Enonchong and some of the insights she gave us into how mobile telcos, particularly those from outside the countries in which they operate, 
and then unfortunately two weeks in a row we're talking about South African ones um, tend, they tend to have uh, an entitlement uh, issue in, in how they deal with countries that they're, they're investing in in fact investing is the wrong word according to her apparently they're just there to profit here and get what they want and get out and it seems uh, some people are fighting back yeah and, and it's a worrying trend I mean especially from a South African point of view is that we are being perceived like that, and especially from a business sense. So, yeah, it's definitely worrying. I don't know what the sol- well, I do know what the solution is: is just follow the rules and care about doing business in each country you go to. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna quickly sidestep that one and go. I'm from Zimbabwe, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> well, listen, Vodacom shares fell as much as 2.4 percent. Uh, not as bad. Uh, nearly as bad as what MTN shares fell following the news of their fine in Nigeria. But uh, this one is, seems to be one that's not going to go away. We'll keep tabs on it and let you know what's up. Uh, let's remember that's uh, the DRC is not the only country that Vodacom operates in besides South Africa, uh, Tanzania and Mozambique as well. And I, one just wonders how how their relationships there might fare and whether um, their partners in various other countries are thinking, hmm... About that issue we've been annoyed about. Maybe, uh, well, maybe not. We'll see. And look, finally, we come back to MTN. Oh, boy. In trouble again this week. Uh, The commercial court in Uganda this time has ordered them to pay an estimated $662,000 in damages to a firm called Easy Money Limited for sabotaging its business. The court is citing, quote, malicious and illegal anti-competitive behavior. Mm. Yeah, things are just not looking good for MTN. It seems like a trend of uh, people are starting to see that we can actually speak up against MTN across the continent because it's not issues that uh, just occurred now after the fine in Nigeria happened. It's things that seem to have happened quite some time ago. Stuff has been on the simmer. And in this case, Easy Money came on board as a partner with MTN. Uh, they were mobile money, their mobile money service. At some point, MTN decided, well... You guys look like you're competing with our interests. We're not gonna. We're not comfortable partnering with you anymore. They cut the relationship off. Uh, obviously, a very lucrative arrangement for Easy Money, but they went a step further, and it it would seem, according to this ruling, uh, went ahead and prevented um, Easy Money from doing business with any of their uh, consultants, which. Yo, uh, basically blocked the way for easy money to exist using the power and the influence that they have as MTN. Yeah, total disregard for a contract by the sounds of it, allegedly. So which, again, I mean, it's worrying. This is in Uganda. We've heard cases in Nigeria now and in Ghana and South Africa. So and Cameroon last week. And Cameroon last week. So it's becoming not about MTN Nigeria. It starts having us asking questions. Is this common practice within MTN group? And I mean, for those of you who are currently in negotiations with them to do business of any kind in any part of the continent, please uh, learn your lessons well from what we're seeing now and and maybe wait for the dust to settle before you sign anything because clearly doesn't mean, it doesn't seem to mean much in, in most cases. Yeah, it's very worrying. Our final story for today also involves corruption. It's also the, the, the springboard for today's discussion. Corruption allegations servicing in Kenya's tech scene, uh, a.k.a. Silicon Savannah. Basically, Brenda Wambui wrote a blog post on Medium uh, talking about how the whole Angani saga, I think a few episodes back we covered how some users or some clients of Angani, the hosting company in, in the cloud hosting company in Kenya, had their services shut down as a result of one of the founders not giving away. At the time we said allegedly because we couldn't say and speak about off-the-record conversations. But 
Brenda Wambui has gone on to make everything public, saying that it was because of passwords not being handed in, because one of the founders wasn't too comfortable after being kicked out to hand back the... And he wanted some guarantees after being kicked out, so he didn't give back uh, passwords. Angani shareholders brought in a consultant to try and solve the situation, which somehow made it worse with more customers going offline. But the whole thing, according to Brenda Wambui, is bringing it back down to what she calls investors who muscled out the founders and installed their own CEO and literally collapsed the company or in the process of collapsing the company unintentionally, I think. She's clearly batting for the founders in this piece. Um, Some of the critics of her piece um, cite the fact that she hasn't hasn't gotten both sides of the story. Certainly she's making a almost nationalist argument for um, how careful founders ought to be uh, in in bringing on investors um, oftentimes from out offshore to get into the business and how easily those relationships can turn sour when so-called investors turn <laughs> hostile true but let's 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 go back and make it remove Kenya remove although those provide great context for the Angani saga because you can't tell the story without the context but for a moment indulge me and let's let's take away Kenya let's take away race and all those things and look at it from a startup X had investors Y who did Z to it and once you look at it that way you realize that it's common ground in Silicon Valley so startups literally shareholders muscle out CEOs. I mean, the famous stories about Steve Jobs, we all know that. He got muscled out early on and he came back in. And we even mentioned that example back when we were covering Angani. So this is common ground in common common uh, happening or a common event in Silicon Valley in Europe where the startup ecosystems are a bit mature, a bit more mature than they are in on the continent. But I do understand the context that, especially in a fledgling startup ecosystem like Kenya, like South Africa, like Nigeria, the context of race, the context of young startup being muscled out by white uh, investors, it does become social issue. It does become a, it does become a political issue too. There is the matter, as you've alluded to just now, of when you get an investor on board, you have a legal obligation to them. There's also the question that's unanswered in, in this piece, is the question of whether or not the founders were doing a great job in running the company. And of course, in talking about the rights of those investors to do what they feel is best for their investment which may or may not include having those people part of it. Sounds horrible to say it that way, but it can often come down to those fundamental issues. It's business at the end of the day, so it does come down to legalities. And yes, also, you raise a good question. What did the founders do as well to contribute to to this saga? Uh, In my short years on this earth so far, I do know that there's at least more than one uh, perception or story to a, in, to an event, so there's different sides to it. There's definitely the side we're hearing from the founder side by Brenda Wambui. We haven't heard the side from Rias, who's the installed CEO. We haven't heard the side from the investors individually or as a collective. We haven't heard the employee side. We haven't heard various sides. So yes, it does sound and they the in the the founders cried wolf before everyone else and brought this to the fore. So that gives them some sort of credibility in terms of why was everybody keeping quiet about this whole saga. So the founders came up, they spoke about it, sure, it gives them credibility. It seems as there's a lot of truth to what they were saying, what happened. But we also need to hear the side from the investors. We can't ignore that fact. As much as I, I'd like to believe that uh, and justify that uh, 
black founders were edged out. We have to hear the side of the investors because uh, it's business. At the end of the day, they invested in a business. Were certain performance uh, uh, KPIs not met by the founders in performing their duties? We don't know. So we need to hear from the investors too. Look, the piece does point to systemic problems within Kenya's economy, um, or issues around corruption and and the link being drawn to abuse of power. There, there is an argument for how much power investors in developing environments have over those without the means to actually get their businesses off the ground. And certainly um, large business interests like MTN and, and Stanbeck, uh, Standard Bank, uh, you know, in, in those various countries being, being essentially caught doing things and behaving in ways that aren't becoming. Does, uh, this is certainly not a great time for investors who many of which are, like you say, white and from outside Kenya, to be appearing as though they are being bullies. Yeah, true. But I also want to be pragmatic about this and get the fact. And because it is business, there are contracts signed in terms of who does what, who puts in what. We need to hear those first before we can jump to conclusions. Although I have sort of shown my side towards the founders and showing sympathy towards being etched out from a company that you started. But at the same time, I feel we need to get all the facts. Well, listen, if you have any facts that we are not aware of, and certainly uh, facts that help us balance perspectives, um, you, you might have already read the, the piece we've referenced in our discussion today. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Kenya is notorious for not saying much, though, uh, for good reason. Uh, things go wrong <laughs> when you say the wrong thing, uh, unfortunately. But if you have any insights that you'd like to share with our listeners, with us and, and, and the rest of Africa, please do share them. Um, you know how to do that. Hit us up on Twitter at African Roundup or set, drop us a line on uh, directly on our website, africantechroundup.com or drop us an email at hello at africantechroundup.com. Once again, this week's African Tech Roundup is brought to you by the inaugural annual roundup happening in Johannesburg on the morning of Thursday, November 26th at the Wondrous Club. Join myself and Andile along with many other leading personalities from Africa's tech scene for a laid-back breakfast event from 8.30am to 12 noon on 26 November. The event will feature keynote speakers, interactive panel discussions that will look back on the year's digital tech and innovation highlights in terms of startups, enterprise, gadgets and apps. Confirmed speakers and panelists in case you're interested at the event include Joe Croshaw, Head of Growth and Communications at Opera, Dominic Collett, Senior Investment Executive at Ren Merchant Insurance Holdings, Brendan Doyle, Co-Founder and CEO of Convergence Partners, Mitch Atagana, Head of Communications and Public Affairs at Google South Africa, Andrew Taylor, Co-Founder of Lexno, Tech Writer, Trends Analyst and Broadcaster Craig Wilson, and also founder of Project Fable, Gojo Bafo. Basically, again, this is not a gig to miss. Seats are extremely limited, so book yours right now at africantechroundup.com slash annual. That's africantechroundup.com slash annual. Now, we appreciate you joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter or follow and like us on social to hear more about how you can get your grubby paws on that dope festive hamper we're giving away, courtesy of Tribeca. Otherwise, till next time, it's goodbye from me, Andile Masugu. And Tefo Mohapi and Kenya. Yo, your tech ecosystem, yeah, no. Down with corruption. Goodbye. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers.